The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. The church at Corinth was right by the Gulf. It was not far from Athens. Uh, in this time, uh, Corinth was really one of the three major cities of the Roman Empire. It was known for its economics, uh, its wealth, its entertainment, and also its worship of uh, many, many Greek gods. Uh, one thing about it is that a part of their wealth is that there was a lot of traffic that would come through Corinth. Because they were right on the Gulf there, there's a peninsula around it, and all the north and south traffic that would come, rather than go 250 miles around the peninsula just to get to the other side, what they would do is they would just say, you know what, let's just cut through. They tried building a creek or a canal, rather, and they tried digging it and getting it all the way to the other side. But what happened was, you know, they didn't have the resources like we have today, and so eventually they said, oh, this is too much money, this is too much time, let's just go on dry land. So they would actually, uh, it was called, a track called a Dioclus, and what it was, it was they would man-made tracks that would uh, bring the boats on, and they would pull the boats. I mean, imagine a big boat full of shipment, and then they would carry it across land however many miles until they got to the other side. Now, you say that's a lot of work. Well, it's better than that 250-mile-plus trip around that no, most people never made it back. And so they were, uh, they were happy to do it that way, but that land in which they came through was Corinth. And so now you've got all the trade, you've got all the uh, different shipments coming through. Uh, it's, Corinth was also a place of, uh, of entertainment. Corinth also hosted the Isthmian Games, which was second only to the Olympic Games. And so you had a lot of revenue coming that way, a lot of excitement, a lot of entertainment. Uh, Not only that, but again, uh, education. Uh, The Greek culture valued the pursuit of wisdom. Uh, It was actually a form of entertainment. Basically, they have a bunch of guys that would come together that were philosophers and the best at human reasoning. And what they would do, they would say, hey, who can get up and and, uh, uh, articulate their intellect, the best. Who could do it? I don't know if there's a ring. It's kind of coming back. If you guys could help me a little bit with that. I don't know if it's my microphone. We all right? We good? That's fine. You can. All right. As long as it doesn't bother you, okay? It bothers me a little bit, but it's all right. Uh, but he comes. Uh, they would articulate their intellect. And whoever did the best, like, wow, you, you, you philosophized so well. You, you articulated so well. They were, the Greeks were always about wisdom and, and human reasoning and philosophy. But along with that education, also they are known for their different religions and different gods. You got, we've all maybe in school or maybe you've seen Disney movies like Hercules and Zeus and uh, all the Greek mythology of different gods that represented different things. But out of all this, it sounds like a pretty decent place. It sounds like a place that's got wealth and education. Uh, it's got entertainment. Uh, I mean, it has religion. I mean, it's a place you would want to set your family and live, except that's not the case. Uh, a place without God and those things eventually comes to corruption. Uh, what had happened was, see, the religion, because they worshiped so many gods, one of, the most, uh, one of the most, I guess you would say, famous Greek god that was there was Aphrodite. And Aphrodite was a goddess, and basically she, her worship temple was up on a plateau about 2,000 feet, and they would have 1,000 uh, prostitutes or priestesses, because she was the god of love, and they would offer their services to the coming traffic of all the ship, uh, sh- uh, ship holders and, and the shipment coming in. 
Sounds pretty crazy and immoral, would you say? Uh, Not only that, but uh, because of all the revenue and because of all the money and because of all the things that were coming into this place, uh, there was a lot of corruption. One commentator said that if you could put New York City, if you could put Las Vegas, Los Angeles, and put them in one spot, that would somewhat describe Corinth. Uh, In other words, this, um, Corinth... In those days, if, you, if someone called you a Corinthian, that was like the lowest degrading term they could ever call you. Called you a Corinthian. Uh, they had plays back then, a bunch of different productions, and they always had a funny character come on. He was the Corinthian, and he always came in drunk because that's what a Corinthian lifestyle was. A Corinthian lifestyle was being drunk, having money, uh, being immoral, and uh, having you know, a so-called God and having uh, all these different things that we call fun and success uh, but that's what a Corinthian was. So in those times, when you say, oh, that's a Corinthian, or they would say it in the Greek term, uh, but when they called you that, that was degrading. You did not want to be called a Corinthian. But yet God in his mercy and his grace calls Paul to the city. Paul's at Athens. He's, uh, he's on his missionary journey. He's coming down to the city of Corinth. And God, I love it because the Bible says uh, in Acts chapter 18, where you'll find this account, Acts chapter 18 tells us that uh, Corinth, uh, when Paul was there in a dream that God spoke to him and said, hey, listen, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to help you. I want you to go there because I have much people in this city. Wow. In that city? <laughs> I mean, think about all the things going wrong there. I mean, that's like, kind of like Sodom and Gomorrah. Why don't, you, why don't you blow it up? But God says, I got much people in this city. And aren't you glad and thankful for the grace of God that even in this place where we live, that God is merciful and loving and kind and that he's willing and not, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the thing that I also notice about is we mentioned about wealth and we mentioned about education and religion. And don't you see also the comparison of where we live uh, in the Northeast Corridor where we live? Those are kind of the pr- three prominent things and really the three barriers to people receiving the gospel. Because you see, when you have religion... You say, I know about God. And religion sometimes is the, really is the, the biggest hurdle for some people to get to Christ. Uh, they have this preconceived idea, I know about God. I go in, I cross, uh, cross my T's, dot my I's. I say a little prayer and a couple of rosemaries or whatever you have to do. And, and that's it. I'm okay. I know about God. Then they also, like the Church of Corinth and here, education. We have a lot of Ivy League schools where we're at. This is, this is a place where there's a lot of education. People fly over, all over the country to come to schools here. But see, education says, I know more about God. I know more than God. Uh, see, religion says, I know about God. Reli- uh, education says, I know more than God. But then also the biggest barrier as well is wealth. Wealth says, I don't need God. I supplied everything myself. I, I, in my success and in my upcoming, you see the biggest barrier that Paul was about to go into, but God strengthened him and God called him and enabled him. And really, just a long story short, Paul gets there, and just as he always does, Paul wasn't the most articulate kind of guy. He mentions it many times in Scripture. I didn't come with you with enticing words. I didn't come with you with words of wisdom. He said, I preach Christ, and we preach Christ crucified. That's it. I preach the gospel, and that's all. And it wasn't, again, he, people had divided over him because Paul spoke better, or Apollo spoke better, but Paul just said, listen, I came, and I preached Christ crucified. And Paul came in, and he preached in the synagogues, and we learn the story in Acts chapter 18 that he gets this, uh, these people saved, and uh, not only that, but the chief ruler of the synagogue then, Crispus and his whole family, get saved. Justice, a person the Bible says was hard in the scriptures and hard like in the Jewish culture. In other words, he was a staunch Jew. <laughs> uh, he gets saved. And so this church begins to form in the midst of 
perverseness in the midst of immorality. And isn't that amazing? Only God can do that. Uh, and through all that, only God can bring light into such a dark place. So Paul's with them for a year and a half. He goes there. And after a year and a half, what happens was uh, he goes to Ephesus. He's with Priscilla and Aquila. They've been, they're of the same trade. They're kind of making tents together. That's how Paul made his living. And he's starting there, the church at Ephesus. But while he's there, remember, he's only been there for a year and a half. And uh, I don't know about you, but maybe uh, a year and a half being a baby Christian, I don't think you've, you've obviously haven't arrived. Uh, and so there's been, there uh, wasn't as much leadership. Paul, listen, he equipped them, he helped them, he trained them. Uh, but once he left, he got word that there was problems at Corinth. And he wrote a letter, which is not 1 Corinthians, not the first letter that Paul wrote. He wrote a letter under, under his own will and own power. It wasn't inspired by God. We call it the lost letter, but he mentions it in chapter 5 uh, that I wrote unto you. And uh, after he writes unto them, then he finds that letter from the house of Chloe. As we read in chapter 1, he says, Paul, there is big problems. There is issues uh, out the wazoo here. You've got to do something. Part of the issues they were having is they were becoming divided. They were bickering and fighting over preferences, but also theological things. Um, they were fighting over uh, uh, whether the cross was actually real or not. I mean, these are people that just gotten saved, but now, remember, these are people who are formerly highly educated in intellect, and that started to creep in, and even though they had fully trusted Christ, they, that old person started to come back and start philosophy, uh, just started to come back in their mind about whether there is a God, if there isn't a God, and, and they started questioning the cross, and many people were calling it foolishness, uh, foolishness of the cross, which that word means moronic, in other words, they were calling the message of the cross moronic. Now, all of us, that must grieve your spirit. Wouldn't that grieve your spirit? But to the perishing man, the Bible says it's, it's foolishness. But to us who are being saved or are saved, it's the power of God on the salvation. So we find that uh, they're questioning that. Not only that, but we, we find immorality. Remember, they had immoral problems, and that started to creep in. Uh, they, they started, they had some sons uh, marrying and, and, and laying with their stepmother. I mean, they were having some really horrible issues. And some of you are like, Paul, I see your face. Like, this, this is what's going on in a church. Uh, this is what's going on with a part of the body of believers. They, at the end of the chapter, end of the book, they're, they're questioning the resurrection. I mean, all these things just start to happen. And specifically tonight, we're going to deal with one uh, in particular just for the Lord's table tonight. Uh, but they were observing the Lord's table wrong. Now, we understand that God, it's an ordinance from God that we're supposed to do. We're supposed to recognize, and he said to do it oft. Uh, but see, what was happening was, is the church itself uh, was doing it all wrong. Now, a lot of times in those days, they wouldn't just come and meet together, have a sermon, and then do the Lord's table. They would have a supper. They would have a feast, and it was a weekly thing. Um, they called it the love feast, or the Greeks would call it the agape feast, the love feast. We call it today potlucks. Uh, we call it today where we kind of bring together some food and we bring together some stuff and we share with one another. And it was really a great time of unity. I mean, it was a time they were going to literally gather around a table, have food, share with one another, and then observe. They climaxed the service with the Lord's table. Now, that sounds good. That sounds something they should do, but that's not what they were doing. And uh, Paul begins to describe what was really going on. You see, uh, remember how the Greeks worshiped their gods. When they, anytime they had a service or worshiped their gods, it was always a party. It was always uh, get drunk, be happy, be merry. That's what it was. That, that's, and so that kind of crept in. And what was happening was that the love feast, uh, it was a time, again, for unity. And there, it was really for some that were really poor. 
it was a time where uh, that was the only meal they got all week. But yet you had the people who were wealthy coming in, they would have food and they wouldn't even share it with them. And then they're left hunger. The Bible says here in, in uh, chapter 11, he says some are left hunger and some are drunk. <laughs> I mean, some of them, I mean, how are you, imagine that scene unfolding right now in this church. I mean, that, that would have caused for some concern, I would hope, that you'd see some people, maybe some of you are tonight a little bit drunk, I'm just kidding, uh, but maybe some of you, you come in tonight and you're thinking like, wow, how would that ever happen into a church, and how would those things come about and come to be? I mean, you would think right now, with all that I've described, and we even get into details of all the other issues, the church has problems, uh, but can I tell you that every church isn't perfect, but we have a perfect Savior, Uh, Every church, every Christian is not perfect, but we have, again, a perfect Savior. And I'm thankful, again, that in this, God, you talk about the blaspheming, the the thing of the Lord's table that's so sacred, yet how how, uh, corrupt and horrible the situation was in regards to that. And how, why wouldn't God just, again, slash them dead? Why wouldn't God? But again, we find more grace in the gospel. We find more grace. Again, these are Christians. This is a church. Uh, This isn't talking to lost people. This is talking to uh, Christians at the church of Corinth. But I think what we need to do tonight is really ask ourselves a few questions. And you see the the book as it concludes in in 1 Corinthians, how it concludes is the church doesn't receive 1 Corinthians very well. (laughs) I gave, this is is kind of a a leak I gave to the teenagers. This is how the book ends. Uh, They don't receive it well. Gives them the charge, but the church, they didn't like it. Paul visits them, he helps them, but eventually in 2 Corinthians, the book is more of encouragement, and the, the church realizes we were wrong. We realize we were the ones that had everything wrong. It was, it was all us, and, and Paul begins to encourage them. But I wonder, as they got to that moment where they realized they were wrong, you know, you ever kind of uh, wander around somewhere, and then you wonder, how in the world did I get here? I do that all the time walking around this building. I have so many things on my mind, and I'm like, why am I in here? <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what in the world am I? I know I came here. I have something in my hand. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm walking around in here. I'm talking to myself, and then I'm like, wait, where am I? what am I doing? What's going on? Uh, you know, I, I appreciate it at camp. Uh, Pastor Mike Clark had talked to a message about, uh, you know, parents had seen him, and they said, I wish my kids, you know, my teens, they could just see it, that they could just see it. And he kind of used the VR, you know, where the VR adults are, the virtual reality thing. And he kind of walked around with it, and he says in our lives, you know, sometimes we're just walking around with the virtual reality of what we think life is. And then once we take it off, we're like, whoa, how did I get here? And, and I love the message of that because really it's kind of, I believe, how the Corinthian church felt. They got to a one place where like, wow, how did we get here? How did we get here? Well, for my own self, and also not just for the church at Corinth, but for our own selves, uh, I believe there's a question you have to ask. How do we get here? Uh, what happened? And really the first question I want to just dive into tonight is in order to figure out the problem, we have to uh, go to the problem and dissect it. And really the question is, what divided us? What divided us? In the pers- simple question, what divided us? And if you look at verse number 17 and verse 22 of chapter 11, uh, we'll read a few of them. But verse 17, now in this, in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come not together for the better, but for the worse. You think of that statement. When I get hurt, something happens to me, and I go to a hospital The reason why I'm going to the hospital is because I'm in a bad situation. I have an ailment. I'm sick. I cut my leg off. Whatever it is, I expect to go there and come out better than when I came in. 
He says, you've come to church, you've come to this gathering, and you, you're not coming for the better. He's like, but you're coming for the worse. How is that possible that someone could come to church and leave worse when they left? Maybe it's possible. Uh, maybe if the gospel's not being preached there. Uh, but imagine the fathom of that. But you see, what divided us, uh, what gave, brought us to that point to where we, when we were coming to church, uh, when we were coming to fellowship and to worship and to praise and to come for the Lord's table, how in the world do we get to a point in our lives when we come to church and we're worse off than when we first walked in? You see, a lot of it we could describe uh, and really find the source, and we'll get there, but really pride was the source of all of it. Uh, I'm not going to re-preach too much on pride. We heard a great message a couple uh, weeks ago, and I don't want to touch much of that, but we find that the real core issue of all division, the core issue of any kind of contention, it's pride. Everything is pride. Uh, look at verse, go to, keep your place there and go to chapter 1 real quick. Chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, keep your place there in chapter 11. But chapter 1, uh, look what he says in verse number 10. He says, now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there what? Be no divisions. That word division literally meant to be torn apart. Uh, it means almost like a royal garment that was ripped. You know, the threads, when they were uh, threading it all together, it wasn't the desire of the person doing it that it was supposed to be ripped. I mean, it was made for a purpose. It was unified. All the threads were put together for a purpose. But to be divided was to be torn apart. Not only do we find them that they were divided, but let's dissect that even more. Well, what causes division? We say, okay, what was the problem? Division. Okay, what was the problem for division? Look at verse number 11. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are what? Contentions among you. Okay? What's the problem? Division. Okay? What's the problem? What caused division? Contentions. What only comes by contention? What only pride comes by contention? See, the whole source of everything. See, the church here... Again, their old lifestyle, they were boasting in their wisdom. They were boasting in their knowledge. God saved them from that. But when all that started to creep back in and all that started to come back to them, pride, by the way, is always the destruction of everything. Pride is the source and the root of all sin. In chapter 11, again, we're going to be bouncing back and forth tonight. uh, But chapter 11, look at verse uh, verse number uh, uh, 17 with me in verse in chapter 11. Now this I say unto you, and he says, I praise you not for you guys not come for the better, but for the worse. 18, for first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be what? Divisions among you. And I partly believe it. Verse number 20, he says this, when ye come together, therefore into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's supper. So the purpose was the Lord's supper. That's what they're meeting for. But he says, when you come, it's not for that reason. You see what divided us? We have to examine ourselves, and I believe that they came to themselves and realized that the only reason why they came to church was for themselves. You see, I hope that would never be the heart of anyone in this room, and I don't believe that. Uh, I believe I'm thankful for our church. I'm thankful that when I look at the Church of Corinth and I see our church, I'm like, God, thank you so much. I'm thankful to be a part of a church family that loves. uh, When I come here, uh, I feel like it's family. That's not a cliche. I mean, I try to picture life in a different church, and I can't. That's just kind of where God's brought me. I, I cannot picture life anywhere outside. I try not to say that out loud because then God will hear me. So well, I'll move you this way. And I don't want that to happen. Uh, but I hear uh, this church, you see, they came for themselves. Look what they said in verse 23. For I have received of the Lord, or I'm sorry, uh, verse number 21. For in eating, everyone taketh before other, what? 
his own supper. It's for themselves. You had the rich people that only could afford the best of the best and the poor people that were coming in that, again, that was their only meal for the week, the only time they were ever, ever going to get a meal. And they would basically come in and have cliques. They would have factions. They would come and go and eat in their spot. Imagine that when we, and maybe it does happen, imagine going in the gym and we have our little meals and you have one section, the far right corner is, is one group and the other group's there. Uh, and one food has a little bit of taste. I mean, picture the scene. This is a real story. I mean, picture this is what really was going on in a church. Going on in a church, they came for themselves. Can I just ask you tonight, as we're about to observe the Lord's table, I hope that you didn't come just for yourself. Um, I remind myself very often, and I, I don't, I come, and of course I'm part of staff here, but a lot of times uh, I can come and observe the Lord's table or come to any service for that regard and be here, but not be here. I'm always thinking about my situations. I'm thinking about, I'm staring, I'm looking at the preacher, I'm staring, I'm reading the scriptures, but my mind's in another place. I'm thinking of things that are of myself. And can I tell you uh, tonight, any distraction that would keep you from hearing his word, any distraction that would hear, to keep you from observing the Lord's table. And the Bible says in that same chapter, let a man examine himself. Uh, let him come and examine what's in his heart and, and whatever's a distraction, whether it's a besetting sin, whether uh, it's uh, the problem at home, whatever it is, uh, can I tell you the church is not for us to come for ourselves, but it's for us to come for others. He says that he came for their own supper. They came for their own supper. And one is hungry in the same verse, 21, and the other is drunken. You see, they were getting, the, the same people that were getting uh, all the food for themselves were getting drunk, and the Bible says that some, that God had let some of them get sick, and that God also let some of them sleep, in other words, die. And, and God was uh, sick of, of what was going on there, but again, in his mercy and his grace, had shown them and had given them an opportunity. You know, we get the Lord's table and how we read it, and we're going to read it tonight when we observe it, uh, how, how it's supposed to go. He says, I've gotten this from the Lord, and this is how you do it. Out of all the epistles, you don't have that instruction. Obviously, the Gospels is when it happened, and we get the records from the Gospels and from uh, the apostles there. But out of all of the epistles, you don't get any other instruction about the Lord's table but in 1 Corinthians. Now, you say, wow, good job, Corinthians. Man, God blessed you. No, this is how bad they were doing it wrong. God had to say, listen, this is, I have this. He says, listen, this is from me. God has given this to me. This is how you conduct it because their minds were just full of themselves. Their minds were full of that, but not only that, but you see how it says one was hungered and the one was drunk. And you see, not only did they come for themselves, but they also saw themselves higher than they ought to think. We understand that the Bible says that we ought not to think higher of ourselves than we ought to think. Um, go to chapter one again. We'll stay in chapter one. This is the last time I'll ask you to turn there. But in chapter one, Paul uh, is talking to them and about the cross. A lot of them were disputing about the cross. He talks about the foolishness of the cross, uh, how it's the power of God unto salvation. It's a power uh, to those of us who are saved, but to the perishing man, it's foolishness. Uh, but he reminds them, these Christians, he reminds them that uh, what they were saved from. Uh, some of us, you know, maybe they think, well, I was so, some of these people were thinking, I was so uh, well keeping of the scriptures and the law that God, of course, he would save me. Uh, of course, he would uh, come to me and, and just uh, save me from hell because of just how wonderful I am. Not only that, but because who, mom and my, who my mom and dad are, because of the lineage I come from. But Paul, through the Holy Spirit, puts them in their place. Uh, look what he says here 
in chapter 1, uh, and then in verse number 26, he says, For ye see your calling, brethren. In other words, translated, consider your calling. How that not many, he's talking to the Christians there, wise, men after the flesh, not many mighty, and not many noble are called. In other words, that word after the flesh really could be translated basically after worldly, according to worldly standards and their measuring stick, all of you, not many of you were wise. Uh, not many of you were mighty. In other words, self-sufficient and working jobs and be able to su- supply and, and be successful and be able to help yourself. But not only that, but not many of you were noble. Uh, none of you had an aristocratic background. None of you were from a great lineage. He says, there were some. He says, not many, implying that there were some. But he says, guys, listen, you were no great bargain. <laughs> uh, in other words, none of, some of you, you, you weren't this great person that God just says, yes, I have to save them. They are just a wonderful person. Now, listen, we were wretched Rotten sinners that deserved help, but because of his grace, because look what he says in the next verse, uh, to the world, right, they were foolish and they were, uh, they were lame and they were base, but in verse 27, but God hath chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise or to shame the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of this world to, to shame or to confound the things which are mighty and the base things of this world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are, why, that no flesh should glory in his presence, that no one should receive the glory only but God. You see, what was dividing the church is that they thought themselves higher. Not only that, but they also came only for themselves. And can I just uh, submit to you, you know, I, I have come, and just to be a little transparent, even just preparing this and listening to music and, you know, your heart gets full and you start thinking about stuff and you start uh, just, especially the past three or four months that I've been immersed in this book and I just, uh, you know, I'd start the emotions and things and I'm like, all right, I'm ready for the Lord's table tonight. But then I felt the Holy Spirit this afternoon kind of convict me on something. I say, well, Brian, because you're preaching, there's a reason why you're full. But what happens about next time? Just being transparent. What, what about the next time you come in? What about, hey, forget the next Lord's Supper. What about next Sunday? What about Wednesday? Because a lot of times I found myself many times, and I'm just being transparent I'm full, I'm in, I'm in Roth. I mean, I'm just, I'm set and ready to go. I preach it, and then it's just like nothing happened. And you know, can I just challenge you tonight that examine yourself like the Bible commands us. And what divided us? Well, they, they, it was pride. It was contention. It was, it was they came for their own will. They came for their own being. They came and saw themselves higher. Well, now that we know the problem, now we have to fix the problem. So now we know the source. It's always good to know how you got there. But now... Just like a doctor would give you instruction on how you hurt yourself, okay, now here's how you get better. Let's ask the next question. The next question I like to ask and let the church, I believe, ask themselves is, what united us in the first place? I mean, what united us together in the first place? I mean, think of the culture in Corinth. You had wicked and moral people. You had the Jews, the Gentiles, and specifically the Greeks. You had all people with different backgrounds, different religious sects, a different everything, but yet... All of them were together in one place. Uh, you know, I think of a few years ago, even, I know someone even had mentioned it, just even the diversity of our room here. I, I remember in school a few years ago, uh, just when the Warners first came and seeing Elijah and then seeing Paul Ortiz. You have somebody from Zambia, <laughs> and then you have a family who's from Peru. How does that happen? How does, how do you get, and then you have a guy from Philly, teacher, talking to them in junior church. I mean, how, how does that work? How does that come together? It's only by Christ. It's the only way. It's, there, there's no other way. You can't write it. You can't script it. It's only Jesus. You see, Paul, in chapter 1, 
he really deals with all of this because he says, let there be no divisions among you. But then he says, be perfectly joined together. Now, remember, division meant ripped, torn away, right? So in other words, the perfectly joined together was a medical term used then. It was meant to mend something. In other words, if a joint was popped out of socket, it was to mend that joint and put it back into socket. You know, it's in the socket for a reason. Would you agree? It's not meant to come out, right? I'm looking at Miss Penna, right? It's not meant to come out. When you break your leg, it's not meant to be broken, but it gets broken, right? See, it, to be perfectly brought back, perfectly joined together, uh, the only way that we can do that is if we were together and united in the first place, uh, together and brought to one part in the first place. And you see, he brought the church of God together. They were all together, but they had split. And he says, guys, I beseech you. I come alongside you. And I want you guys to know that you can be perfectly joined together. But how? Again, how do we come joined together? How do we become perfectly joined back together? Paul says this in chapter, in chapter one, verse two, follow along with me. Remember, as you read this, think of the church and their problems. Think of all the immorality. Think of all the problems, all the sins, everything. Now read it. And this is what God's perspective is of the church. He says, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them, uh, he says, to them which are sancti- that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Now, the word to be there is italicized. So what do we do with that? It's added, right? Take it away. So now, how's, now how do you read it? Called Saints. I don't mean saints as Catholicism says saints, where we have an imperfect man appraising and saying this person, this woman, this guy, they perfected holiness, and so they're a saint. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people who've been, who've been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, who have been saved. He, doesn't, he could have came out of 1 Corinthians, you wicked sinners, I came and I left for two seconds, and now you're all having problems. He says, to the church of God, sanctified, called saints called saints. He shows them that where, what united us in the first place was Jesus. What brought us together in the first place? Jesus. Jesus is the common denominator. He is the reason that we all come together. He's the reason, like you can have a kid from Zambia and someone from Peru. You could have someone like me. You could have uh, yourself in this room. Think about the relationships you have with this church that you have never had anywhere else outside of Jesus. I mean, think about it. I mean, yes, we may have crossed paths. Yes, we may have that. But think of the relationships you have here. Think of the God-given relationships you have. Why? All because of Christ. You see, Christ himself, again, I'm kind of echoing a little bit what we heard this morning, uh, but Christ is the mediator. He is the one that brings unity. He's the one that brings fellowship. He's the one that can take the holy, righteous hand of God and the unholy, wicked, sinful hand of man and make it work and bring it together, and bring unity. I mean, it's through him that we have unity. What united us? It's Jesus, and always, forever, will be Jesus. Always will be Jesus. I love illustrations. I uh, used to live on them a little too longer as a preacher, and I used to say, let me say one verse and have five, uh, 30-minute story, and then have an application. Uh, I've learned that the God's word is what won't return void, and I've learned that, and again, I, I'm, I'm all for illustrations, and I'm going to give you one tonight, but the illustration that I love, I love personal ones where someone's transparent. I just love that. It makes a connection. It makes it real, but I love it when the Bible itself gives an illustration. Um, look at verse number one. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes. Now, I love it in the Bible when you have a name 
and you have somebody that you don't really hear about very often. Because to me, it's not a filler. God is holy, he's righteous, he's a God of order, and that if he chose to write this person's name down, it's there for a reason. Now, sometimes the Bible doesn't give us all about that person, but what he gives us is always just so amazing and profound. And so go with me real quick, hold your place there. We're going to learn about Sosthenes real quick, about unity, that all of us can come together in Christ. Go to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. This is the story of Corinth, how he came there. For time's sake, I won't go all the way into details, but just kind of give you uh, the gist of it. Acts chapter 18, uh, and then verse number 12. So Paul, he comes to Corinth. Uh, He's there. He's preaching. Uh, He goes, uh, and actually, if you look at verse, uh, let me see, verse number uh, 12, uh, verse number 12 here, or actually, go, go back up, and we'll go to verse uh, number seven. And he departed thence and entered to a certain man's house named Justice. This is Paul going to a man's house, Justice, one that worshiped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. He's that staunch Jewish guy I was telling you about, right? Uh, he went in there and he preached to them. Uh, and then the Bible says here, uh, in verse number eight, and Crispus, if you want to underline these next few words or just memorize it, maybe for that matter, the chief ruler of the synagogue, that's important, And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. So this is the start of the church. This is the birth of it. He goes into the synagogue and leads the uh, rabbi or the leader, the chief ruler. He leads him to Christ and his whole family. I mean, wow, what a miracle. What an amazing thing. Fast forward down to verse number 12. So Paul is getting ready to leave, but there was a certain amount of people there that got mad at Paul. That happened a lot, right? (laughs) A lot of people got mad at Paul. So Paul gets, they get mad at him. The Bible says that uh, there is a group of people in verse number 12. Uh, it says, when Galileo was the deputy of Achaia and the Jews made insurrection with one, in, uh, with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. So there was a bunch of Jews that were upset, uh, Greeks that were upset. They came all as one accord. Hey, guys, let's get him. Let's go bring him before Galileo. Let's, let's get him and get him in trouble. So they bring him there. Paul, I wonder at this point, is like, all right, take me. You know, <laughs> This is just another routine in my life. He comes up and brings him before him. Verse number 13 says this, saying, This fellow persuadeth men to worship God contrary to the law. You see, the synagogue, this is not how we worship God. He's blaspheming God. He's saying Christ is the Messiah. I mean, he, they're talking, they're pleading their case, and they think they got him. And when Paul was now about to open his mouth, he's about to open and defend himself, or maybe, maybe preach the gospel. I don't know what he's about to say, but implied maybe he's about to, wait a minute, look what happens. When he opened his mouth, Galileo said unto the Jews, if it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, O ye Jews, reason would that I should bear with you. But if it be a question of words and names and of your law, look ye into it, for I will be no judge of such matters. It basically said this, unless they committed a crime and, it's just a, and now it's just about your Jewish law, he's like, I don't care. I don't care about it. Well, that didn't go well with the people that got all riled up and were about to get Paul in trouble. Look what happens in verse number 16. Uh, Verse number 16. And he drave them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took, there he is again, Sosthenes, and beat him before the judgment seat. And Galileo cared for none of these things. So basically, now look what it says. Sosthenes, what? The chief ruler. Well, wasn't the chief ruler Crispus a moment ago? Right? Well, Crispus got saved, and once you're saved, you're never the same. And so you can't be the chief ruler of a synagogue. You can't be a chief ruler of that. So he either quit or fired. So they had to get another leader. 
And this new leader now, the chief leader of the synagogue, was Sosthenes. And Sosthenes believed to kind of rally these guys and kind of persecuted Paul and tried getting Paul in trouble. But it's speculation that really, because he failed, they were all mad at him. So they beat him up. I mean, they, they whooped him. I mean, think of that ending of his, of his story. The first time you hear of him in Scripture, he's getting beat up. And the Bible says that Galileo cared for none of these things. Now go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to close with this, and then we'll observe the Lord's table. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, in Jewish culture, or not in Jewish culture, in those times when you write a letter, you always address your name first. In our culture, we say, dear so-and-so, blah, 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 blah. Here's my name. And usually, if you're like me, I see dear so-and-so, and and then I, before I even read anything, I read the bottom, and I say, who's this from? I want to know who's writing to me, right? I want to know if this is worth my time, right? I want to see who's writing this. Well, in those days... Because they didn't have, you know, MailChimp or Facebook and stuff, when the Bible says the letter came to them, I mean, they opened it up and they read it together. I mean, they opened it up and looked at it and read it. So kind of set the stage here. Let's think about it. So he opens it up. Again, they got all the problems. They probably got people in the corner eating and doing whatever. They got other people here doing immoral things, whatever. This is the church that's become. And so they open the scroll, and they're about to read it. And so here we go. The, you get the name, Paul, Right? Then you get his title, because that was another custom. You always told it what your position was. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. Then usually next, there's a dictator. There's someone that is dictating and writing this out for Paul. So they're reading it. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Well, we'll see about that. He's not one of the twelves, but, you know, they, they had problems with that. Through the will of God and Sosthenes. I remember that guy. Sosthenes? Didn't he get beat up a little bit ago? Wasn't he the guy that was trying to persecute Paul and he failed? I remember the guy. He got whipped. I mean, he was bad. Oh, oh man, why is he even in this letter? Okay, let's reread this. All right, sorry, guys. And Sosthenes, our brother? When did that happen? So think about this. We all have a list of people we want to see in heaven, right? Mine's really long. Um, We have eternity, so we have a lot of time. And if I'm not still picking my face off of the floor in front of Jesus, then I'll have time to go see my family and my friends. And he's probably way down the list, but I want to kind of meet this Sosthenes guy. I'm like, what happened? When did you become a part of the church? When were you brought together? When were you unified with the church? I mean, how did this happen? Because Paul's not calling him a brother like, hey, bro. He's a brother. He's a Christian. You know what's amazing? And this is just my imagination. I kind of picture Paul... He's being persecuted. He's being held there. Sosthenes is on the corner, and he's yelling at him. I wonder if Paul saw himself. Remember who Paul was. Paul was a persecutor. Paul was a persecutor of the brethren. I wonder if he saw himself, and then when he saw him beaten up, I wonder if, I wonder if he witnessed to him. He said, hey, I, I see you. <laughs> I, see, I see myself in you. I, I wonder if he preached the gospel to him. He got saved somewhere. We don't have record of it in Scripture, but some conversion happened. And not only is he saved, but God chose him to open up with Paul, the book of 1 Corinthians. You know what a snapshot picture of is that first, that first verse? Paul, a persecutor. Sosthenes, persecutor of the, of the former persecutor, opening up the book. Only Christ can do that. Only Christ can bring unity like that. Christ can bring a person like Sosthenes, a persecutor of Paul, a persecutor of the Christian faith, and call him a brother. Wow. Only that can happen. Can I tell you tonight that maybe tonight you have, you're part of the church, you're here, you've accepted Christ, but maybe you found yourself in a distance. 
Maybe there's that sin in your heart. Maybe there's just something that's just a wedge between you and God. We learned this morning that, uh, you know, the, the talking about, you know, our enemies and different things, but uh, understand that you have to get the en- enmity, right? If you're not saved, if, if there's Christ is not bridging that gap between you and God, listen, get that tonight. Uh, listen, become a Christian tonight. Know that Jesus Christ came, he loved, and he wants to bring unity to you in your life. He wants to bring unity to us together as a church. And again, if, if uh, you have never trusted Christ or if you have trusted Christ, can I tell you, if you felt that you have a distance between you and God, listen, God's not the one doing the distancing. Uh, God's not the one that is drawing away. We are drawn away of our own lust. We're drawn away of our own things. God says, listen, I'm right here. I've never changed my place. If you draw nigh to me, I'll draw nigh to you, but you have to draw nigh to me. I'm the one that will never leave you nor forsake you. But if you feel disunity tonight, if you feel it not just in the church, can I just tell you in our relationships, if your spouse uh, or if your children or uh, your siblings or whatever it is, listen, God wants to bring unity. God is the one that can bring unity to a broken marriage. God is the one that brings unity uh, to a broken relationship of a father, a son, a mother, or a daughter. God can bring all relationships together. He can unify us, and only through him can he do it. And that is what unity is. And as we gather around the Lord's table in just a moment, we'll have a moment to examine ourselves. But can I just say this? Maybe you find yourself, maybe you were a Sosthenes at one point. Maybe that's what you saw the church, but you see how God in his saving power and his saving grace can save and call and unify everyone. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.